don't you go ahead and say hi to a couple people and then you can make your way to your seat this morning. That's awesome. Thanks. I'm probably up. space. This is kind of fun, right? Yeah. Ashley, how much leg room you got? I wish you could see what's happening up here because it's worse than an airplane right now. Poor thing, Ashley. If you want to just stretch out, go for it. Just, yeah, come on now. I just, just, you do you. Come on, pregnant lady. You've earned it. You put your feet up, whatever you need. We are here for you. Ashley. Hey, I'm so, so excited to be here this morning, and I want to say hi to those who might be joining online. How great of a team are we that we still have, like, live happening right now, too? So people from around the world might be joining us at Subculture this week, which is pretty exciting. Uh, and, and I'm really excited, too, because I feel like this is a message today, this morning, that is going to be applicable to every single person in this room in a really practical, really relevant way. And it's something that's been stirring deep in my heart for quite a while. And so I want to encourage you, maybe you're newer to Liberty. Maybe this is your first time here and you haven't been to Broad Street yet. And you'll join us maybe next week at Broad Street, which we're excited to have you. We're glad you're here today. You might be newer to your faith. This might be your hundredth time at church today, but I truly do believe that there is something for each of us this morning. And then if we lean in, we could actually leave here with exactly the wisdom and insight we need for our lives. And sometimes we don't need a lot of different things to be told to us. We just need to lean in and hear that one thing to be spoken to us. And if we can hear that one thing and we can receive that one insight, it could have a huge impact in every area of our life. I feel like that's what today is going to be for a lot of us, hopefully for all of us this morning. So why don't we pray and why don't we lean in today to hear perhaps what that one thing might be that heaven would speak to us. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for your presence here. We thank you for what you're doing in each of our lives. We thank you that you are sovereign, that you are good, that you are faithful. And we pray that you'd have your way in our lives and have your way in this place today. I pray that our hearts would be open to lean in and hear from you. I pray that we would receive wisdom. We would be inspired, that we would be equipped, that perhaps the challenges we're facing right now, God, that we don't have answers to, that we would leave here with more answers, that we would leave here with direction from you, that we'd leave here confident that you are good, that you are for us, and our best days lie ahead. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Okay, so here's a little known fact about me. I hate clutter. Anybody else with me? I prefer my spaces, my workspace, my home to be orderly. You know, it brings me peace. I actually enjoy organizing spaces. It makes me happy in some strange way. It is therapeutic for me. So much so that on part of my last day off, a good portion of the day I spent purging out one closet and reorganizing another. I chose this of my own free will. Like, for some of you, I just described a form of torture. But, but for me, it was heavenly bliss. Like, I love a clutter-free space. Again, where are my people at who, who would enjoy this? Yes, yes. Which actually is to my advantage living and working in New York quarters, right? Especially like today, you know, we can make our way around smaller spaces. But I've found in life 
that it's actually a lot easier to maintain a clutter-free home than it is a clutter-free life and a clutter-free soul. It's easy for life to become cluttered, isn't it? We have uh, demands and to-do lists and meetings and agendas and endless opportunities and ways to spend our time and our energy, right? For instance, have you ever woken up on a day off and it was one of those rare days where you didn't have a lot planned and you woke up and you thought, wow, I have an agenda-free few hours. I wonder what I'm going to do with all my time. At the end of the day, you're going to bed and you're thinking, man, I didn't get half the stuff done I needed to get done today. Like, what happened? We started the day with no agenda, but somewhere along the way, we picked one up. Or how many of you have ever experienced the sheer bliss of an empty inbox? Oh, it feels so good. How long does it last? Like five minutes, 30 minutes top? Why? Because things have a way of piling up. Not to mention that we are immersed in a culture that prides itself on busyness. We are taught that if you're not having a jam-packed schedule, then you're boring. If you're not stressed, then you're missing something. If you're not constantly on your phone, then you're out of touch, right? And so we keep checking our emails, and we keep posting videos and Instagram stories on our highlight reels of social media, and we keep saying yes to everything around us, and we keep consuming more and more and more. And because of that, more often than we would like to admit, we find ourselves spread too thin, easily distracted, weighed down by worry, guilt-ridden over the fact that we can't make everyone happy, and worst off, we actually regret that we can't spend as much time and energy on the people and things that we want to and that mean the most to us, right? It's easy, it's dangerously easy to develop a very cluttered life and a cluttered soul. I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that within the past 30 days, most of us in this room and those joining online would have said one of the following statements. I don't have enough time to get everything done, right? I'm really stressed right now. I, I, I'm a bit overwhelmed. I, I I'm just feel so distracted right now. Like I, I, I'm just always so tired. Or maybe even if we're really honest to say, I'm just not enjoying life the way I want to be right now, right? Most of us are feeling the effects of a cluttered life in one way or another. But I have good news. I believe that by the power of the Holy Spirit today, the spirit of wisdom from above, that we're going to be able to cut through the clutter to hear God's voice and experience his peace. So if you have your Bibles, why don't you open them to Luke chapter 10. And we're going to take a look at a woman who is in need of some decluttering of her own in her life and the simple and profound truth that she is confronted by. Luke chapter 10, we'll begin reading in verse 38. I'm going to read from the Amplified Version of the Bible. If you don't have it with you, it's okay because we're going to have it available on the screen right here. It says, now while they were on their way, Jesus entered a village called Bethany, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister named Mary who seated herself at the Lord's feet and was continually listening to his teaching. But Martha was very busy and distracted with all of her serving responsibilities. And she approached him and said, Lord, is it of no concern to you that my sister has left me to do the serving alone? Tell her to help me and to do her part. But the Lord replied to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered and anxious about so many things. But only one thing, only one thing is necessary. For Mary has chosen the good part, that which is to her advantage, which will not be taken away from her. Now, I actually feel for Martha in this story because she starts out trying to do a really good thing, right? 
She's being kind and generous and hospitable. She's opening her home to Jesus and the disciples. But very quickly, there's this huge gap that forms between her good intentions and her actual actions. So here's how the story progresses for Martha, this hostess with the mostest. She starts out, and she's doing her responsibilities, and the Bible says that she becomes very busy and distracted. And then that evolves into frustration because she's feeling like she's alone in the work. And then that escalates actually to offense because when she gets to Jesus, she comes to Jesus with a little bit of attitude. She's like, is it of no concern to you, Jesus, right? She's not just trying to school her sister at this point. She's trying to school her savior as well, okay? She goes from opening her home to actually insulting her guest of honor, which happens to be the very greatest guest that anybody could ever have in their home. This quickly spirals into a case study of what not to do when opening your home to guests. And this all starts because she became very busy and distracted with many things. In other words, it all started to spiral downward when her life became cluttered. And here's Jesus' response. Martha, Martha, which is Jesus talked for, Martha, I'm going to need you to bring it down a notch, right? <laughs> he says this, you are worried and bothered and anxious about so many things. But only one thing is necessary. For Mary has chosen the good part, that which is to her advantage, which will not be taken away from her. I find it interesting that Jesus uses the words worried and bothered and anxious to describe symptoms of a cluttered life here. I wonder if we just did this quick exercise in our mind and just graded ourselves very quickly right now where we currently are, how we would score. If on a scale of 1 to 10, we just ask the question, how worried am I about things at the moment? On a scale of 1 to 10, how easily bothered or angered am I about things at the moment? On a scale of 1 to 10, how anxious am I about things at the moment? And see, Jesus, he speaks to these symptoms because he knows what any good doctor knows. That if you want to get rid of the symptoms, you don't treat the symptoms, you treat the illness causing the symptoms. And this is what Jesus does with Martha. He doesn't just speak to the anxiety or speak to the anger or speak to the worry. He goes a step further and he says, there's a reason why you're experiencing all these things. You are consumed with so many unnecessary things. But Mary has chosen the one thing. The greater thing, in this instance, sitting at the feet of Jesus, which then that phrase was synonymous with actually being a disciple of Jesus, learning how to live from Jesus himself. He's saying, you are busy and distracted by many things, but Mary has made the focus one thing to learn from me. And because she's chosen that one thing above all other things, it is going to be to her advantage, and it's the one thing that can never be taken from her. In other words, Mary... Or Martha, you have a cluttered life right now. You're consumed by so many things. But if you could change your focus to this one thing, not only would it benefit all areas of your life, but you would end up living a life with no regrets. We see another person in scripture who is also dealing with the effects of a cluttered life. And once again, we see Jesus prescribing one thing to this young man in Luke chapter 10. We see his story starting in verse 17. It says, as Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. 
You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud, honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, I have done all these. I've kept these since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing, hear that phrase again, one thing you lack. He said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Now, here we see this young man is at a place in his life where he's actually searching for meaning to the point where he chases Jesus down, falls at Jesus' knees and asks him, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Nowadays, a similar question would be asked in, in our culture and society a different way. It might be, what is the meaning of life or what is my purpose? And Jesus goes on to prescribe to him a certain amount of commandments. Jesus, knowing full well that this man has kept them since he was a little boy. Jesus is making a point here. He's being intentional. He's not trying to dismiss what this young man has done. But he's trying to point out to this young man that it isn't enough. All that he's done can still not fill the void of what only Jesus can fill. And so this man says, I've done all this since I was a boy. This is where Jesus changes the conversation. He doesn't prescribe to him an additional list of things to do, a lot of more things to do. Instead, he points him to one thing. Out of complete love, he says, there's one thing you still lack. And for this young man, his one thing was to actually give away his wealth to the poor so he could fully follow Jesus. Now, this is not the instruction that Jesus gave to every rich man of the day. But it was the instruction he gave to this young man because he knew for this young man, it would be the one thing, instead of the many things, the one thing that could radically change everything for him. And even though the specifics of the situation between us and maybe what are happening with this young man are very different, and even though there's over 2,000 years that stands between us and this young man, the principle is as relevant for us as ever. The one right thing in our life, one thing, can have the power to change everything. See, sadly, we can so easily do many things and think many things and pursue many things and hustle for many things and hope for many things and, and, and dream for many things and sadly not make very much progress in the process because we falsely believe that many things are greater than a few things or even one thing. Instead of wondering and trying to figure out how to get everything we want and how to get everything done we need to get done, and how to make everybody happy, instead of putting all our attention there, what if instead we just discovered the one thing, the one thing we could do, the one thing we could believe, the one thing we could hope for in this season that could revolutionize our relationship with God and therefore revolutionize everything else? What is the one thing? Now, for each of us, that one thing might be different right now. It was for the two instances that we read here just earlier. Jesus told Martha, her one thing is just chill out and sit at my feet, right? But for the rich young ruler, the one thing was actually to give away his wealth to fully follow him. It could be different, our one things. But for each of us, or each of us in this room, and for them, it was unique to their story of following Jesus. You see, us being a church that is a community of believers together doesn't mean that we're all uniformed in each step of faith we take robotically. This is what we all do. It's that we cheer each other on in our individual moments forward in faith as we pursue the one thing in this season that could change everything for us as we fully devote ourselves to following Jesus. And so the question this morning becomes, what is the one thing for each of us? And so I want to spend the, the rest of the time we have this morning exploring what that one thing could be. The one thing that could radically change everything for us. 
Our one things are going to be different. But if we actually focus on these things in the season of life that we're in, I truly believe that it could have amazing results in every area of our lives. And so I'm going to ask us three simple questions. And throughout today, I want us to explore these questions. I want us to personalize these questions. And regardless of where you are in your journey of faith here, maybe you're not even a believer, I still believe that these questions are going to have deep impact in your life because they're going to force each of us to ask ourselves, where are we spending our time and our energy and our focus and are our priorities exactly where we want them to be? So question number one in discovering our one thing for right now. What is the one belief, the one thing that if we believed this thing would have the greatest impact for the better in our lives? What is the one thing that we could believe right now that would have the greatest impact in every area of our lives? One thing. Now, I will make a confession. There are certain Bible verses that I've read a number of times that when I get to them, even though I, I read them, I can't grasp the content. Anybody else willing to admit that? There are some passages that I'm like, don't really know what to, what's going on here, but you know, I'm going to keep reading it, right? Well, one of those for me has always been Matthew chapter 17. Matthew 17, Jesus makes the claim that if you have mustard seed faith, faith the size of a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, that nothing will be impossible for you, right? And even though I understand logically the point that's being made about faith, I have failed to be able to actually grasp the concept beyond logic, like how something so small could impact something so monstrously large. That is, until last week. Last week after church, Ben, who's my boyfriend, Ben and I, we went to dinner with a mentor of ours. And as we were sitting down and, and, and having dinner, enjoying conversation in the meal, there were a lot of great things that our mentor was saying, but one part of the conversation in particular, our mentor began to just really be very affirming and say some really affirming things to Ben. And these weren't just empty words. Like it was as if he began to speak directly to the God-given potential inside of Ben. And there was one particular statement that he made that had a tremendous impact. And it wasn't something that Ben had never heard before. It wasn't the most profound thing to ever be said. Honestly, it was actually a really simple statement. But Ben didn't just receive it here. He received it here. And it was like, I watched this man that I care so deeply for change in front of me. I watched his whole demeanor shift. It was like a light bulb went on inside of him, somewhere deep inside. And after dinner, we said goodbye to the mentor, and we decided to walk around. The weather was great, so we were walking around the neighborhood. And we were just reflecting on the conversation that we had had with the mentor and the time we'd spent. And we kept coming back to that one statement. And Ben kept talking about the impact that that statement was having for him. And as I was listening to him, I realized what was actually happening. Ben had received that one statement that that mentor made, and he received it as truth. And it became a belief inside of him. And already it was affecting different areas of his thinking. And consequently, I could see it beginning to affect every area of his life. And for the first time in my life, I understood Matthew 17. How one simple mustard seed faith could move mountains in somebody's life. How one simple belief, one simple thought received as truth could actually change everything. So I wonder, for each of us in this room, what is the one belief right now, the one thing that if we truly believed, not just here, 
but received here that we personalize for ourselves right now that would have the greatest impact in every area of our lives. I mean, maybe for some of us in this room, the one thought is simple. It's, I am fearfully and wonderfully made, just like Psalm 139 says. And if you really, truly believed that for yourself, then it would change the relationship and it would change your confidence and it would change the way you invest and spend your money and would change the way you respond to disappointment and it would change the way that you deal with difficult times and it would change the way that you hope for the future. It would change the way you take care of yourself and value yourself. Just one simple belief. Maybe for some of us it's, I'm loved. Maybe for some of us it's, I'm not my past. I'm not a burden. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. God will take care of me. My heavenly father doesn't withhold good from me. Maybe the simple statement, I can't change. We should dig deep. Because the kind of beliefs we're talking about shouldn't just impact one area of our lives. They should impact every area. It shouldn't just speak to one circumstance or one situation, but apply to all areas of our life. For instance, when I said, what is the one thing you could believe right now that would have the deepest impact in your life? Maybe somebody in this room thought, I want to believe that God will bless my career. That's what I want to believe, that God will bless my career. Well, that's great. But let's dig deeper. Why? Why do you want God to bless your career? Because I want him to, okay? Why? Well, because I, I, I want to do good. Why? Because I've always wanted to ever since I was a kid. Why? Well, because nobody else in my life ever actually did anything great, and I don't want to be like them. I want to be different. Okay, now we're getting somewhere. Because now we're thinking about things and wanting to believe things that don't just affect the career, but every area of our life. Now this is a belief that isn't just about your career. This is about you and ultimately what you believe about God. And the beliefs that will change our lives are the ones that ultimately reveal two things to us. Who our God is and therefore who we really are. Who our creator is and therefore what creation actually was meant to be. And when we can get to that point, then we can see it have its deepest impact in every area of our life. Now we're not just wanting God to bless the career. Now we're thinking, you know what? Actually, the belief that I could need in this season is to believe that Jesus has chosen me. He has set me apart. And if I believe that, not just my business is going to flourish, but every area of my life is going to be radically different. And this is why ultimately every belief worth building our lives upon is going to come from here, from the word of God. Because the word of God was written for us to discover the character of God, to see who God really is and therefore to know who we really were meant to be. We need the word of God and we don't actually need to be a scholar to read the Bible. This wasn't made for scholars. It was made for all of us, divinely written for us. We could just take time every day and begin to not just receive beliefs one day a week, but every day of the week to open our Bible and just spend a few minutes just reading a chapter or even a portion of a chapter and asking the question, what does this show me about God? And therefore, what does this show me about myself? And what is the one belief I could receive today that if I truly believe could change so much in my life? And maybe you're not used to doing this, but you're ready for some new beliefs to build your life on then I want to encourage you, you can start somewhere, grab your Bible, or we'll give you a Bible today. We'll make sure you get a Bible. But grab the Bible and maybe start reading the Gospel of Mark in the New Testament. 
That's just an account of Jesus' ministry. Read a portion, uh, uh, just part of a chapter or chapter a day, and just do what I said for 15, 20 minutes. Just pray, reflect, what does this say about God? What does this now mean about me? And what is the belief that could change everything if I truly believed it? And friends, then that's where we begin to have life-giving beliefs that don't just nourish certain areas of our life, but actually become a deep well that nourishes every area of our lives. We were meant to flourish in this way. Let's dig deep. Number two. Second question to ask ourselves this morning. What is the one thing that if I fervently prayed for would have the greatest impact in my life? What's the one thing I could be praying for that would have the greatest impact in my life? Jesus makes a remarkable promise to us in scripture. In John chapter 14 and verse 12, this is what Jesus says. Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they'll do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do this. Now, first Jesus says, you will do the same things I've done. That alone is my blowing. Then he says, you'll do even greater things. And then before we even have time to be like, how is that even possible? He says, and here's why. Because if you ask something in my name, I will do it for you. In other words, if you ask something according to my agenda, my mission, my will, I'm going to do it for you. And he doesn't just say it once. He says it twice. Now, have you ever met somebody and you really wanted to help them? And so what do you do? At the end of the conversation, you give them your, your number and you say, hey, call me. I'll help you. Call me. Right? We repeat it. Call me. I mean it. Call me. We don't just say it once. We say it twice. Why? Because we want them to know, hey, we mean what we say. Jesus here is essentially doing the same thing. He's saying it not once but twice. He's saying, ask me according to my will. Ask me in my name and I will do it. I mean it. I mean what I say. Ask me. I'll do it. I mean it. And why wouldn't he mean it? We're talking about Jesus here. Jesus, who lived a sinless life on earth with the sole ambition of rescuing us from our sin. As the Son of God, he willingly gave his life on the cross and died a criminal's death so that he could pay for the price of our sin, our shame, our guilt, our sickness, our pain, our disease. He bore it all and he did for us what we could never do for ourselves. And he made right for us what we could never make right for ourselves. And not only did he die for us, but he rose from the dead. He conquered the grave and revealed himself as the author of life and the resurrection life so that not only by believing in him would we receive forgiveness of our sins, but we would receive the guarantee of eternal life. He did it for us. He did it for you. He did it for me. I think he's proven he's good to his word. Matthew and Luke are filled with stories. Jesus tells us so we can have a deeper understanding of who God really is. And one of these stories takes place in Luke chapter 15. Jesus tells the story of a father with two sons. And the youngest son prematurely squanders his portion of the inheritance And in complete humiliation, he finally gets to a place where he decides to return home. And to his surprise, not only does his father embrace him, but he's welcomed immediately back into the family. And the father even throws a great big party for him. But the older son, when he finds out about this, he's outraged. He can't believe after everything that his brother has done that he gets to be so easily welcomed back into the family. So he refuses to attend the party. And his father finds out. His father, he goes and he confronts him. 
And he asks him why he's not at the party. And this is where the older brother finally lets his dad have it. And this is what he says to him in Luke 15. Verse 29 says, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. I hate that. I hate when parents don't give you young goats, right? (laughs) But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. Listen to the father's response. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. The father says, everything I have is yours. In other words, you feel like I've been withholding from you, but in reality, you just never asked. Is it possible that there are things that belong to us as part of our heavenly inheritance as children of God that we don't have right now simply because we aren't asking our heavenly father. At the beginning of the year, I was really challenged during our 21 days of prayer and fasting as a church to pray bolder and more specific prayers than I've ever prayed before. And so I wrote down a list of things to pray for for this year, and I wrote down a few things around each of those. And then I decided to engage in my year of praying more boldly and more specifically. And so I had a few ground rules for myself as I entered into praying in a different way. The first was that I wanted to actually know from God's word the kind of faith I could stand on for each of these things. And so I opened my Bible and I searched for verses that would fuel faith for me as I prayed for these things. And I did a Google search and found some other verses. And that was really important to me, to know from God's word what I could stand on and what I could believe to be true as I prayed for things. And the second thing is that I decided to pray consistently. I committed. For me, it was every morning to pray for these things. Thirdly, I opened my heart to being wrong about these things, which was really important to me. I wanted to trust that God knew better than I did for each of these things I was praying. And as I prayed, I was open and wanted to have a posture of humility so that as Jesus led and directed me, perhaps the prayers themselves would change or be adapted or omitted or changed. And I relinquished control. That was really hard for me. I committed to trust Jesus with his timing and his way of taking care of me, whatever that looked like. And finally, I committed to pray for both seen needs and unseen needs, which for me meant that I was going to be really honest and do some soul searching. So yeah, I prayed for the things that you would think to pray for, like health and finances and family members and, and relationships. But I also prayed for areas of breakthrough in my soul that I needed so I could walk in more freedom and prayed for clarity in my pursuits and a purifying of my heart. And so far this year, Jesus has answered 18 of my prayers, 18, some in some really astonishing ways, some in some subtle ways, some in some very humbling ways, and some of my prayers have adapted and changed, some have left the page because they've been answered, there's been new ones added to the page, and I've come to realize that this list will never go away, because like Jesus basically said earlier in John, the greater the life that he's called us to, the greater the need for provision will be, right, as we follow him. And so I'm not saying you have to make a list, but what am I asking? I'm saying, what is the one thing for you right now? 
The one thing that you could pray for, that if you fervently prayed for this, it really would impact every area of your life, or it would have the greatest impact for you right now. Once you know it, go after it. Don't quit. Get some people to pray with you. Stay after it. We were not meant to go through life crossing our fingers and hoping and wishing for the best. No, we can stand on the promises from Jesus and we can be confident that he will take care of us in his way and in his timing if we ask. And number three, last question this morning. What is the one thing I could do that if I did this one thing would create the greatest results in my life? Or let me put it this way, what is the one thing I could do that if I committed to this thing, if I did this, would actually deepen and strengthen my relationship with God the most and therefore impact every area of my life? What's the one thing I could do? Now James 1.22 puts it rather bluntly when it says this, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, do what it says. (laughs) Do something, right? I recently finished reading a book called One Thing by uh, Gary Keller and Jay Papasan. I believe that's how you say his last name, which led me kind of on this journey of soul searching and Bible study that has since evolved into this message. And towards the end of the book, they actually uh, reference another book written by Bonnie Ware called The Top Five Regrets of the Dying. And Bonnie spent years with those who were dying, caring for them, And she began to ask them what were their greatest regrets as they reflected on their lives. And she began to discover that there were common themes that took place. But here was the number one most common regret from the dying out of all of the regrets. It was this, I wish I'd had the courage to live a life true to myself, not the life others expected of me. Half-filled dreams and unfulfilled hopes were the number one regret. Most people had not honored even a half of their dreams and had to die knowing that it was due to the choices they made or not made. There was extensive research done in 1994 by Gilovich and Medvek that further proves this point. They said this, when people look back on their lives, it is the things they have not done that generate the greatest regret. People's actions may be troublesome initially. It is their inactions that plague them most with feelings of regret. In other words, if we are going to make the most of our lives, then we can't afford to not do something. We will need to be people of action. Jesus talks about this very thing in Matthew chapter 25. He tells another story of an employer and three of his employees. This boss gives them the assignment. He gives them a certain amount of money, each of them, to go and make something of the money. And he comes back after a long trip expecting some growth. And while he's gone, two out of the three employees do just that. They double the earnings. But this one man, the one employee, he doesn't lose any money. We should say that. He doesn't lose any money for his boss, but he doesn't make any money either. The boss comes back from the trip, and he does something pretty interesting because most of us would say that's a good day of productivity for this guy. He didn't lose any money out of the three employees. He only gained money. But the two employees that doubled their earnings, the boss actually celebrates and he rewards. But the one who didn't lose any money for him, but didn't make any money either, he fires. And Jesus actually calls him wicked and lazy. Now, this might be a harsh thing to say or to hear, but it is a harsh truth that we need to hear. Because we were not meant to maintain in life what we've been given. Faithfulness is fruitfulness, just like maintenance is not progress. 
We were not meant just to maintain a relationship with Jesus. We were destined to grow even closer to him. We were not meant to just maintain a level of faith. We were destined to increase our faith. We weren't meant to maintain the job that we were in. We were destined to add greatness to the organization. We weren't meant to just maintain the gifts and talents we've been given. We were destined to develop them. We weren't meant to just make money. We were destined to give and invest. We weren't meant just to maintain a marriage. We were destined to build a great one. We were not meant to just maintain our neighborhoods. We were destined to actually make a difference in our communities. We were not meant to maintain the status quo. We were destined to influence cities that influence the world. There is no maintaining in destiny. Those two words cannot coexist. This is not business as usual. You are not same old, same old. This is the one and only life we've been given and what we do now will echo into eternity. And so, if we were not meant to maintain, but to progress forward in our relationship with God, and we weren't meant to maintain what we've been given, but to progress in how we make an impact in the world, then we're constantly going to be asking ourselves this question. What is the one thing I could be doing right now that would bring the most momentum in my life? So what is that one thing? Maybe for you right now, the one thing is joining a community group and actually making some Christian friendships, and developing some real relationships that are solid because you know that if you had some good people in your corner, it would impact every area of your life for the better. Maybe for some of us in this room right now, it's that we actually begin to not just hear the Bible and be exposed to faith once a week, but to make the decision that every morning, 15, 20 minutes, I'm going to be here because I want beliefs that are going to change my life. And I want to know more of who God is. And I actually believe that if I could just make this a discipline in my life, I might not do it perfectly, but if I could devote some time to it, it would actually impact every area of my life for the better. Maybe the one thing right now is actually to establish a date night in your marriage. And if you actually just committed to time with your spouse, you'd gain traction that you've lost in your marriage. And new levels of intimacy and honor and love would emerge. Maybe the one thing right now is setting aside some real time to devote to the dream so that you can put some hard work behind the hustle and the hope that you have, right? Maybe the one thing right now is actually go to counseling so you can get free from the wounds of your past because they keep sabotaging all your attempts for happiness. And if you could just deal with the wounds, however scary and hard it would be, it would actually impact every area of your life and your future. Thank you for listening to the Liberty Church Podcast. If you are in New York City, or will be visiting the New York area soon, please be our guest on Sunday. For service times and locations, please visit libertychurchnyc.com.